1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone.
2: Go to bombuscom slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
1: You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. This week, Guitar Nerds are teaming up with Echoline Pedals to offer you a £10 discount voucher across their entire line of pedals. This awesome range of British-built boutique effects boxes have been a Guitar Nerds' favourite since we first discovered their gloriously transparent overdrive, the Roadrunner, five years ago. Recently, Echoline Pedals have revamped and expanded their entire range, now available in a more compact, pedalboard-friendly chassis, and with an under unbelievable pre-discount starting price of £119. Still handmade in the UK using the finest new old stock and top quality components, Echoline's range of drives, distortions, fuzzes and boosts are some of the sonically best pedals we have ever heard. They come with a full Guitar Nerd endorsement and we strongly recommend taking the plunge on one of these boxes. For details and to shop online, check out echolinepedals.com and use discount code ILOVEGuitarNerds at the checkout for £10 off any pedal
3: in their range. Hello and welcome to the Friday Special, a podcast by Guitar Nerds. Now for 2020, the Friday Special series will be running every week. And each week, I'll have a new guest from the world of guitars, amplification, effects, pedals. We'll have brands, producers and musicians. I am your host, Joe Branton. Joined this week by co-host and pedal aficionado, Matt Knight. Hello there. And our special guest, Katie Tunstall. Hello, Katie, and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Oh, yes, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Now, Katie Tunstall obviously needs no introduction. The guitarist who essentially popularised live looping and developed a style of rhythmic and percussive playing that has inspired generations of solo singer-songwriters, having released numerous chart-topping albums and won Grammys and brit awards and mercury awards along the way um so it's great to have you on the show and and hopefully to give our listeners some insight into the equipment and approach that i guess has set you apart as a as a guitar hero of the 21st century, do you know what, so. Joe?
2: You, you're welcome to introduce me at any event that <laughs> I, come, I play at, or any party that I go to. Thank you just you. do that; that. that would be great. Thank you. I,
3: I pride myself on my introductions, <laughs> so yes. <yeah. laughs> but. Um, but yes, so you know, obviously, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the Guitar Nerds podcast. A lot of the time, you know, the the Friday specials for us have been something where we've been trying to branch out and and talk to people who not only make the gear but use the equipment and have kind of, um, I guess, changed the way people use equipment. And of course, obviously, a lot of it, probably what we'll get onto is you know the the fact that you changed the way a lot of people thought about loop stations. But I guess you know. I want to. I want to touch upon some some other bits first because, of course, you didn't. You know, you didn't start on guitar. You you were originally trained to be a. a you were a classically trained pianist as your as your first sort of port call.
2: Yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't say that I was a classical pianist in training. Right. I was definitely. You know, I, I asked my parents for a piano when I was four. And I I was just completely fascinated. I had a school music teacher called Mrs. Kingsley. And uh, she looked like Dame Edna Everidge. And she <laughs> had like this mad bouffant hairdo and the crazy glasses on a chain.
3: I mean, that's what you and, want from a yeah, music exactly. teacher. Yeah, exactly.
2: And she, she was really great. And, you know, she played this thing, this machine called the piano. And I was just like, what is that? <laughs> and I want one. And so I got a piano when I was four years old and my parents were academics. So kind of the natural thing to do, I think a very natural kind of progression for parents with kids who are interested. They think, oh, right, well, they should do some lessons and get involved in the exam system. And so I started exams and for my grade one, which I did when I was five, I took my coloring book instead of my music. <laughs> which pretty much informs sure the rest of my life <laughs> ever since. And um, and I got like one point off perfect um, and just, I said, it was wow. fine. I'll just do it from memory. And then it was just a completely kind of steady downhill trajectory of achievement on piano for the next 12 years. And I just was not, it was clear that I was not built for... That kind of learning. I wanted to make. I wanted to create my own stuff. Right. Um, and actually, I think the 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 liftoff point for me in terms of what I've ended up doing was that I joined a little theatre group when I was eight and started performing. And that was when those two spheres clicked together. And I, you know, it did. I, I mean, I didn't start writing songs till I was about fifteen, so it's quite late to it.
0: Didn't yeah, start so. playing
2: guitar till I was fifteen. Wow. Um, So, uh, and my parents also didn't have a music collection, so they didn't really listen to music. So so you
3: really had to start from scratch.
2: Yeah, that wasn't, it wasn't my background of sort of listening to Billie Holiday and, well, actually, my dad did have a Billie Holiday tape, so that's (laughs) unfair. But he had about five cassettes and it was (laughs) Billie Holiday, which I thought was really weird Um, the Vangelis soundtrack of Chariots of Fire, which I totally loved. Oh, my. Which was awesome. The B-side of that soundtrack (laughs) is amazing. Um, And the reason he had that was because the beach scene from Chariots of Fire is the beach in St. Andrews where I grew up. And so that's why he had that. Uh, And then he had a guy called Tom Lehrer. He was like a kind of 70s Harvard mathematician satirist who sounded like, you know... um, gilbert and sullivan but he did that amazing song table of elements where he's going hydrogen and lithium and oxygen so and that is amazing (laughs) songwriting it was the weirdest like tiniest music collection i think anyone has ever had Um, that's what you
3: that's what you get with people who aren't especially into music the the few things they have will definitely be the weirdest outlandish things so weird so
2: weird (laughs) And he re- he basically didn't really listen to them. He just listened to Formula One and on the radio and a bit of classical, and that was just it. a little bit
3: of the chain, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. That's how I, that was my introduction to, to Fleetwood Mac was only because my dad was watching F one every Sunday. I,
3: I mean, I think I think a lot of us had that. It took yeah. me years to realise that that yeah, was actually a song. I was
2: probably like twenty five when I realised that there was like a slower <laughs> part to that song.
3: Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So, so I guess you, you moved off of, um, you moved off of piano relatively quickly. Yeah. I mean, I definitely
2: started, I started writing songs on piano, but it was just like horrendous sort of secondhand Richard Marx ballads. So you didn't find your voice on a piano? No, I didn't. Not at all. And then have you ever
3: found it since? Do you think on like, the piano is, is yeah does it is yeah, a piano yeah. like later become a real sort of main, yeah, mainstay I'd of say your writing? I think
2: so. I think probably synthesizers more yeah. than P- mains piano, but I've certainly now written a few songs that I'm really proud of uh, uh, compared to those early ones. Um on piano since then, but I just don't really feel I ever mastered it. So my I I, I think um in terms of Improvising and expressing—I just feel a bit limited as a pianist.
3: Right, I see, I see, and certainly as a, as an as a guitarist, and I, I guess we, we kind of have to like talk about your guitar playing in in, in two separate elements as a, as an acoustic player and as an electric player because I feel like those are are two kind of unique and different stories yeah because it's really I,
2: nice to talk so in depth about guitar actually i don't get to do it very often <laughs> Ah, there you go well unfortunately uh, that
3: is <laughs> we oh, will be painfully and dull hello, and in everyone depth. who's
2: <laughs> actually interested in this stuff i'm so happy to talk to you <laughs>
3: Um, but yeah, we're, we're, let's. We, we, I want to talk about acoustic stuff because of course yeah. you really like had a, a very original approach to acoustic guitar playing because of course you you, you very much use the acoustic guitar as a, because looping such an essential thing and your pedal board mm. will come on to later but because you needed to build um, beat based loops as well as playing guitar on an acoustic it, it required a real I guess you had to find – it's not like you can play any acoustic. You have to find something that's got the right range. Oh, man.
2: Like, it's impossible. And if if, if anything happens to my acoustic, I can't pick up another acoustic and loop. Right. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You've got to find the right instrument and – uh, what I've found as well is you have to reinforce it as well. Otherwise, you just <laughs> smash it to pieces.
3: Well, this is it. You're quite an aggressive player as well. Yes. So I imagine you you, you have uh, potentially a lot of bracing repairs that have yeah, to Yeah, definitely. I
2: mean, yeah, there's cracks galore all over my guitar. You know, I think the chronology of it is really interesting and people might not realise First of all, I think because I've got the chubby cheeks, I um, looked younger than I was <laughs> on <laughs> Jules Holland because I was 30 when I did that. Uh-huh. So um, I picked up guitar at 15 and then didn't touch a looper until I was 29. Right. So right. there was wow. year, you know, 15 years of playing guitar without that looper and the really interesting thing for me was that I actually started on nylon string Spanish guitar was how I learned which is really hard cuz the neck's massive.
3: Yeah,
1: huge, so, really flat, not Yeah, you
2: know. really tough and basically almost impossible to play unless you're sitting down. Right. Um, Because you've got to get, you know, you've got to reach over the body of it to get those um, chords. um, But I I had started listening to Joni Mitchell a little bit when I was at uni. And I definitely started getting into, and and it was funny because I'd come in contact with steel string players. Because when I was 16, I joined uh, King Creosote's band. Yeah. Because he was in my hometown. And that was all about rhythm guitar, that whole scene. But I think I had a short spell, about probably a year from 14 to 15, where I was, I've never had a guitar lesson, by the way. It's all self-taught, which is really interesting to me because I had 12 years of lessons on piano. And then here I was picking up an instrument. What happened was there was a guitar teacher at my school. He was really cool. I never got a lesson from him, but he let me borrow a guitar and just teach myself.
0: I think um, it helps you develop your own voice i think you know quite often and i guess it's the same with classic classically trained pianists you know amazing players but they're so about reading and and performing that Mm. that classical music and quite often you can have guitar lessons and you just become a carbon copy of perhaps the person that's teaching you yeah sure
2: it embeds a right and wrong way of doing things Mm. which can be great but it can be really unhelpful particularly if you're trying to create your own music yeah
3: yeah oh for sure um yeah.
2: so I, I found that extremely freeing as someone who'd come through the kind of you know classical theory system of just going crazy and and also it's a rock and roll instrument so it was really great just kind of thrashing away on this guitar and I used a little busking but. And learn just tablature, just basic chords. But the thing that has massively informed my playing and my writing and the way that I sound is that I've got quite skinny fingers, but quite bony knuckles. So I can't do bar chords.
3: I wondered if you were going to talk about this. I was hoping you'd talk about this because you have such an interesting approach to creating those same chords. I've,
2: uh, you know, everyone I kind of jammed with, they're like, just play the bar chord. And I was like, I (laughs) can't do it. Like (laughs) when I try and do it, half the strings are not being muted by my forefinger. Right. And it didn't seem to matter what I did. I couldn't. I couldn't get a clean chord by playing bar chords. So right. I had to kind of figure my own way around that. And it was so anti how I'd learned piano, you know, where it was all like learning the chords, learning the theory, learning the intervals. I couldn't even tell you what chords I'm playing in most of my songs. And that's
3: (laughs) rock and roll, isn't it? Cheating. Yeah, uh, maybe
2: I'll I'll know what the root key is, but I I can't tell you the name of what the chord is.
3: Wonderful. (laughs) Um,
2: And that's that's great. great because that's not what, that's not what, I mean you know either way it's the theory is really useful and I'm not going to pretend that you know a decade of theory on piano hasn't been useful because it really is particularly when it comes to um arrangement of mm. songs of writing string arrangements or backing vocal parts or understanding chord structure understanding where you can go in chord progression that stuff's really really helpful um but the guitar journey from for me was was totally solo and in a in a total wilderness and i loved it and it was um it was really exciting and so just to start finding ways of playing these chords without using the bar chord i just ended up with a lot of very interesting yeah quite soaring kind of open chords that i'll use
3: yeah that's wonderful that's that's rock and roll right there Mm. and you Mm. know that's uh, that's really cool um, I, I, you know, obviously we want to talk about your because you're you're very well known for your 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 Gibson Dove. Yeah, but um, but I understand. Like, um, did you play a uh, originally a 1965 Gibson
2: Dove? So, what did I have first? The first, the first guitar I bought was a Seagull. I right. don't know if you know them, they've I got know really, Seagull very well. Fantastic, yeah, fantastic, amazing, range of guitars. tiny little Not, headstock and.
3: Exactly. I no one's dreamed le- guitar, but like a really great It was a, it was a lovely
2: starter guitar. I've still yeah. got it. And, um, and then, and do you know, I'll just tell you a very quick story about that seagull because it did have like a really crappy ovation. And I'd taken it on holiday to Greece with my pals when I was about 20. And I got to the place in Crete where we were staying and I waited a couple of days to open my guitar and I opened it and it was in half and it had been snapped <laughs> oh, no. in transit. And I had like shitty student insurance and it said you've got to you've got to apply for the insurance at the airport within 24 hours of it happening and i was like oh no no. so i pretended that it happened on the way home so i got to heathrow (laughs) that's genius i got to heathrow and i was like got my guitar and then it opened it and i went oh my god my guitar's (laughs) in half um Applied for the insurance and then I knew the guy who ran the guitar shop who bumped it up a bit, and I managed to get a really nice guitar. Oh, that's wonderful! Happy days! Yeah, happy days! And then, um, that's great. And then obviously when, when things started happening, I'd, I'd started writing with other people after I'd signed my publishing deal. And uh-huh. one of the guys I wrote with, who I still love writing with is Jimmy Hogarth, a guy from Orkney who lives in London. Yeah. And um, he had a 1960s dove in his studio and I completely fell in love with it. So I went to Gibson, had a chat with them and, and, and Pat Foley, who was at Gibson at the time, he was said, I'll never forget. He said, Katie, why don't you just buy a new one and make it vintage? And I went, because I really want an old one. And he said, he said, trust me, it will be vintage before you know it. And here I am. I've got my own vintage Gibson Dove that has been with me from the beginning. And um, once that one kind of got smashed up, I then moved on to a custom. I got an Elvis Dove, which is the Dove, but it's black with a white scratch plate, which is beautiful, beautiful tone in that guitar.
3: And that's I think that that kind of black dove with the you know, the the inlays that it has, everything about that that dove is kind of I think has become very synonymous with you as a as a player.
2: Yeah, it was really it was really funny. There's a great um young fan called Millie who's uh, Fitzpatrick and she's doing her own stuff now and she's great she's really talented but she was the first person who got herself the same custom dove
3: I remember and I was like
2: whoa that's really weird (laughs) 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 seeing that dove like with someone but I was like no that's a huge compliment you know that someone would go out and and recreate that guitar and it's certainly done me well I've actually had to add an extra scratch plate on the top of it because it was going full tilt Willie Nelson. I nearly... Uh, yeah, whoa. straight through. <laughs> ...had made a hole above the sound hole. So, I
3: I just can't believe that a player that relies so much on hitting their guitarist, what is the fact that you're actually quite an aggressive guitarist anyway, is yeah, still so my, essentially I mean, my, using my, the same yeah, guitar?
2: My kind of dream rhythm players are Eddie Cochran, the Everly Brothers, mm. Elvis, and um, Billy Bragg. I just love... What and what I feel about those older artists is, you know, they were kind of it was pre-punk, and I yeah. felt like that was the spirit that they were bringing to playing acoustic guitar. They were basically playing acoustic like you would play an electric.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, you you are absolutely right. That's that's exactly what it was. Punk acoustic players. Yeah. It folk was punk, as it was. Folk yeah. punk.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and. If, yeah I and guess as scrappy
2: you know I'm a scrappy player I am not I am definitely not a precision guitarist all
3: about and those like chugging the guitar without yeah, a chord and things but, like that because of course you use that to build tracks yeah and, and like as well. but
2: wake up little Susie" for me is an absolute masterclass in rhythm guitar if you if you just play along to wake up little Susie," you will come out of that a better rhythm player
3: would you consider yourself like a right a right-handed player, essentially. I think people Yeah,
2: yeah. Like without just, doubt, like without doubt. I mean, I'm uh, one of the, one of the things I ended up doing a lot now with writing is I do single string playing.
3: Right. Using it very much as a as a base. As you know. a base,
2: yeah. So you just root note playing, and um, I'll write songs a lot that way as well. Like the song "Hold On," the song "Little Red Threads." Yes. Um They're just, you know, it takes a bit of work with the left hand to work out how you mute everything but one string when you're moving <laughs> yeah. about but what you get is that amazing percussion on the rest yeah. of the guitar and um yeah i'd say that that's become a really important kind of signature sonic tool for me yeah
0: absolutely. so um i, I was going to say you mentioned earlier obviously you, you had that you know a decade plus uh, of going without without a loop pedal and yeah and obviously everyone's first introduction to you in the mainstream was was on on Jules Holland, which yeah. I read you had something like twenty four hours to. I did.
2: It prepare was prepare for that. It was wild. Like I have told this story a lot, and it still gives me the fucking shivers. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy So I was on tour With the Earlies An amazing Manchester band But I was actually In the support band Called Half Cousin Which was a really good friend of mine Called Kev From Orkney And it was crazy Punk folk music So I was Hitting a metal box With a bar And I was playing A clarinet Through a distortion pedal Oh was, yeah
3: I'm so into this already And I was
2: playing <laughs> Keyboards I mean it was so weird And we just finished The records and my label boss said to me, you know, we've got to get knuckled down and get going with promotion. And I was like, I'm going on tour with my mate's weird punk folk band. And he said, don't do that. I said, why? Nothing's going to happen for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and then he calls me and he's like, uh, you need to come back to London. Um, <laughs> and I, so I had to kind of skip out and miss the Manchester show, which I was gutted about and then go down to London. And I so I didn't have time to think about it, didn't have time to worry about it. Black Horse and the Cherry Tree was not on the record. The record was finished. Black Horse was a new song. I thought I'd bagged the first single for the second album. What? Uh, and my label boss said, play that woohoo thing. <laughs> with the ped- And I was just like, <laughs> my label boss called Shabs. I said, Shabs, it's not on the record. And he's like, trust me, just play it. I was like, okay, I think you're mental because Other Side of the World was the was the Yeah, sure, single, of course. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'll play the woohoo thing. And so I did that, obviously, live. And, you know, the weird thing was that I'd been using the loop pedal to play... I remember doing a tour of Scottish coffee shops using the loop pedal, and I would set it up myself and, and that do that was my an own sound. head rush
3: you were using. Yeah, it, as right, I yeah.
2: still do. And... um yeah. And people were kind of like, yeah, that's cool. But no one was going mad about it. People would kind of look up from their coffee and be like, oh, that's really fun. But no one was like mind blown. I think that's, that's and then, crazy. So I wasn't expecting anything, you know. And then so I did the yeah. show and it was really funny during the show because... I was, I don't know why I wore these shoes, but I wore these sketcher like fucking hiking boots that have massive treads. (laughs) And when I do the breakdown, I was about to pop back in, you know, you're not the one for me, bang. And I missed the button and it went in between the treads in my boot. So when I came back in, I, I, I didn't come in on the beat and I came in, a bar, a bar like two bars later <laughs> and when i finished and it was backstage anita baker's drummer who was absolutely amazing because anita baker had been on the show he was like oh my god you're amazing and i'm like thank you so much man and he goes i love that part when you, I thought you would come back in there, but you waited.
1: <laughs> you
2: left us hanging. I love that. And I was like, oh, thanks very much, man.
1: <laughs> um,
2: but it was wild. It was like The Cure, Anita yeah. Baker, Jackson Brown, Embrace, and the Futureheads.
1: Wow. Yeah. And, and,
2: is- and I won the online poll for yeah. the week. Yeah which you know I was running my own website at the time <laughs> and I woke insane. up that to like 500 emails. I was like what what is going on?
3: That is absolutely and, um, incredible. What an amazing, you know, what an amazing break into It was amazing. I mean, it, it was
2: amazing. And you know, it's it's really it's really interesting because I've done Jules since, you know, obviously and, yeah. and for for kind of um for subsequent records. And I've come off that show just going, ah, fuck, I didn't quite hit the mark there with that performance or with how I presented it. And so it was such a lesson. And yes, it's great you know, to be given the opportunity, but you've got to nail the opportunity I guess Like, so. yeah. lots of people go on great shows and are forgotten by the next yeah. morning. So. Well,
3: sure, I mean, you know, yeah, you know, Jules Holland has, has a show, whatever, every week, and yeah. <laughs> not everyone's still talking about the performance, no, you know, so 15 it was, years um, on.
2: Yeah, it was really wild, but Nas, the rapper's father, was meant to be playing trumpet on his track, and his father fell ill, so he... He, like, dropped out at the last minute. And, of course, you know, whenever a rapper can't make it, my phone starts going. <laughs> <laughs> when Drake can't make his show, yeah, I'm that's, like, that's, yeah, that's, guys, that's I don't think worry, of. I'll be there.
3: When I think Katie Tunstall, I think, you know, Drake back
0: up. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's Exactly. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> so, when, what? how did you come into the the looping thing because obviously now we were talking a bit before Matt, the podcast i can't
3: believe you're gonna bypass the no no it's fine we can we can do the looping thing i hadn't even gotten to the gibson dove thing but you know yeah. let's let's bypass it let's i,
0: I um go I was on, just, obviously
3: I, you want to talk what about what did you want
2: to <laughs> ask about the dove oh uh, no
3: no i just wanted to talk about because of course you, you know the uh Oh well, I'm sorry, Matt. I I have actually stopped now because you have a you have a couple of doves. You've got the 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 black dove, which I which, I, you know, I still can't believe that's the same single guitar. Yeah, but yeah. um, I've I've seen you say it's been
2: that, repaired a lot. <laughs> I,
3: yeah, exactly. I've seen you say that, that Yeah. Um, even though, you know, that's the one guitar, and I I can't you know, as I say, I can't believe you use that as much as you do. Mm. And and rather than having sort of reliable backups whilst well, you do have the di- white yeah. one
2: i do yeah
3: but you've said the white one is very tonally different it's from massively your, your
2: tonally different one. and i think because it's got the white lacquer right it's somehow really uh lowered its resonance
1: right. so i can't I get
2: the fo- the fullness out of the white one unfortunately right.
3: And, and the white one stylistically is quite different because, of course, the black one very much... that That is just an Elvis Dove. Yeah, right, I just with,
2: changed. I put stars on the, yeah, on the yours, fretboard.
3: Which you used very much in the, in the artwork for your first record as well.
2: Yeah, so... Um, but, I mean, I didn't have that guitar at that point.
3: Oh, really? Right. No, so oh, the Black Dove... I didn't know dove, it happened that way around.
2: The Black Dove, I think... I'd have to look at when that got made, but I was on... My first Dove, which is called Cosmo, I was on that for... For a long time,
3: what what made you choose a Gibson Dreadnought? Like you know, I appreciate obviously it was literally your-
2: just sitting in my mate Jimmy's studio, and that was the guitar I fell in love with. And nice. I'll tell you what, it says a lot about me because if I want to go on holiday, I will Google where I want to go, and the first thing I see that looks good, I'll book it. Right. I don't want to spend time. I don't. Uh, if I like it, I like it. I see I'm what you not mean. one of these people who. um who shops about that much so, so the, the, it, the gibson dove it. was
3: the first dreadnought that you played that you liked so you stuck with it
2: yeah yeah and i needed i definitely needed that breadth of sound i needed that low end and I well, of course needed you're trying to really, do
3: everything i guess yeah with exactly one, one guitar
2: needed that nice sort of jangle but but we will get to it but i have actually jumped ship and i'm now playing taylor's my goodness, I'm excited
3: about. I'm excited so we'll, about talking about that. We'll, we'll, we'll get, get there. there. We'll, so let, we'll let Matt do his pedals. pedal thing. Let <laughs> me
2: tell you about pedals. So I, <laughs> when I was looking for a record deal, so I signed my publishing deal in 2000, and I didn't. I wasn't on Jules Holland, of course, till 2004. I think it was 2001. 2001. So I was so writing and kind of being developed for quite a long time right. with um, Sony Publishing and. Um, back when artists got development time, imagine. (laughs) Um, and I was looking for a record deal, but the good thing was, was I'd been given the advice from a mentor, Bobby Heatley up in Edinburgh who had a studio and a, and a, and a rehearsal room and his dad had actually been a songwriter who'd been shafted basically. So he'd made it his job to try and help young singer songwriters get it right. And he'd said, sign your publishing first because you write your own stuff. And then you're not signing a record deal for money because that's a dangerous route to go down right. um and so the uh, actually in the end the only record deal i was offered i did get offered a nice big juicy record deal from Capitol in new york but tommy mottola got fired two months after the offer so it was taken away again <laughs> um and the only offer i had was from this label called relentless who had knitting Sony
1: and that was it it was basically
2: they like they'd done 21 seconds by so solid crew they had knit in Sony, and it was run by shabs job and putra who was an underground asian dance dj it was just like the weirdest situation but he really loved what i did and he said to me um to sort of get to know us and see how we work with artists we have this jewish drum and bass band that need top line and a lead singer to go on tour with them. Would you like to work with them? And I was like, yes, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and they were called Oyvavoy, and <laughs> it was night. this absolutely incredible, like six-piece klezmer hip hop beats band.
3: Right.
2: Um, and so I went in the studio, wrote some stuff with them, was on their label, and I went on tour with them. And it was great. It was an amazing experience. It was, it was, I, I feel very grateful to them because, you know, I was able to learn about touring on their ticket and, and, and kind of make a list of do's and don'ts
1: <laughs> when I'm on
2: tour um, watching them really. And, um, but Moshik was their sound guy and he was a lovely dude. And I, you know, I was in the process of making my record and I was saying to him, I'm just so bored of the singer-songwriter open mic night bullshit sitting with a guitar and playing emotional songs. I don't feel like that's what I am. I want to... It's about rhythm, but I can't afford a band. So what do I do? And he literally, at the end of the rehearsal, just went in his backpack and said, you should try this and see what you can do with it. And it was an Akai headrush.
3: What? Amazing. That's how you were introduced to it. That's how we introduced.
2: So Mosh... That's incredible. So Mosh set me up with it. And I think at that point I'd seen two people use them. I'd seen Jim White, the American musician.
3: Well, no one was
2: using them at the time. Yeah, Jim was using it to just loop weird ambient guitar.
1: Right.
2: And then the other really significant guy, which I must pay homage to is Son of Dave. Who was a Canadian artist who I'd seen? I can't, I can't even remember where I'd seen him. It was some sh- gig in London. He's a Canadian dude. He dressed. He was like poly, he was like polyester Elvis, like some weird ginger polyester Elvis dude from Canada who looped beatboxing and harmonica, and then he'd sing over the top of it. And but what I'd never seen was anyone managing to get guitar and vocal into the same loop pedal. Right. And I had tried a line six. Um, I'd been told that a line six was the way to go, and it just really didn't like vocals going into it. I see. It was it was not handling the vocal frequency stuff well. Maybe it, it was my fault because I don't want to put them down because I was very inexperienced at the time. Um but it it wasn't working. So Mosh took this pedal out and I was saying to him, like, how how can I get both in? So we just brainstormed and we realized because this thing has only got one input right that we're gonna have to split my signals in a desk at my feet take one output from the desk and stick it into the pedal so (laughs) it was pretty convoluted but it's actually a genius way of doing business it's, it's stage, a great way
3: of getting more things into one pedal i mean it, I, I mean especially I've obviously seen your pedal board yeah with it's a, it's nuts a, <laughs> it's like
2: a fucking bowl of spaghetti it's absolutely bananas
3: <laughs> yeah exactly. but yeah.
2: the the really good aspect of this is i really believe in the studio and on stage that you give the people you're working with something that sounds good You don't rely on them to make it sound good for you. So your amp should sound good. Your guitar should sound good. Your vocal, your vocal mic should sound good and your pedal board and your loops should sound good before you send them to any front of house or any desk. Um, And the great thing about going into that desk at your feet is that you've got EQ control, you've got balance control um, and you can actually Somewhat sonically design what you're sending to anyone before it even goes. Right, um, and that's and the really cool thing, you know, the Akai Headrush is cheapest chips, yeah. and it's a really kind of it's a very very basic piece of kit. You can't save anything. There's no tempo control. There's nothing, and and that's why I love it. I mean, I could I could I could even simplify that pedal more because. I literally, there's ha- half of it I don't use.
3: It's got some great features as well because, of course, I think does, there's, a, yeah. there's a there's a button on there echo. where you can just reverse everything as well, mm. which is kind of which is you know which is a, a cool feature if you want to do weird stuff on it yeah. as well. But then, yeah. um, it has some great stuff going on with like the the way that I think the the LEDs work, and that they made a really good example of. Um, when you're coming to the end of the, the loop, it yes. speeds up the LED. And, that is uh,
2: absolutely brilliant. There's a song that I have from my fourth record, Invisible Empire, Crescent Moon. It's called Chimes. And it's a very meditative, kind of repetitive part, but it's about eight bars long, the guitar part. And that was a really cool moment using that bit of kit because... I play the whole part in eight bars, right. and it just fits. It's a twenty. I think it's a twenty-six second maximum loop. I on, didn't on the head rush.
3: know the head rush could do that long. I yeah. actually, I was speaking to Matt about this beforehand, and I was, I, I happened to mention it. I thought the head rush had like an eleven-second limit, but that's no, that's, it's long. Wow, that is that is actually impressive. Considering when the head rush, the echo headrush yeah. was actually put out, that's in. That'd it's incredible.
2: Impressive. And and so it's amazing doing a song like that because as you said it gives you this rapid LED flashing saying I'm about to run out of space. Yeah. <laughs> um and uh of course there's nothing you can do about it if you want to stay in time. You've just got to wait till you <laughs> finished. <laughs> um but you know it's uh, the the loop the loop pedal is an extraordinary training ground for for timing. Because yeah. there's no cheating.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah.
2: And yeah. I think that's really funny as well. I mean, an absolutely hilarious story about the loop pedal is, you know, it is some kind of surprising that more people don't do it because it is so cheap. And it means yeah. that you can just go out and perform on your own and do this full sign. But it's completely sort of self-regulating because it's hard right well, so that's
3: that's it yeah it's that's... not
2: it's not easy to do so i found myself on tour and my head rush broke because obviously i'm stamping the shit out of it all the time and yeah. we didn't have a backup where we were so I was like oh man and I've never ever ever heard a peep from Akai they've never been in touch they've never it's what? <laughs> yeah they are like That's I mad. I'm not even That's in the crazy. I'm not even in the fucking friend zone with Akai <laughs> like I don't know what they do but they do not need me right so anyway um I It was going to take too long to buy one from them. So I had to have a look on eBay and I found one on eBay, very reasonably priced. And I ordered it to be delivered, whatever, you know, two days time at the next venue that I was going to be at. And I had completely overlooked the fact that my eBay account is just my name. Like I'd set my eBay account up <laughs> ages ago. And it just says Kate Tungstall. Pre-fame, right. Pre-fame okay. eBay account. And so I buy the pedal, and then the guy selling it just emails me back, just going, Are you Katie Tungstall? <laughs> and I was like, okay, what what do I do here? I was like, Yep. I don't think I can get out of this one. I'm buying a fucking loop pedal. I mean, my, <laughs> not just and, a loop
3: pedal, the loop pedal. Yeah, the loop for. pedal. And <laughs> I was like,
2: I said, actually, yes, I am. Hi. <laughs> and he just went, This is really funny because I bought this pedal because of you and I couldn't work out how to use it. And now you're buying it off me cheaper. <laughs> 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 and i was like holy shit i've like single-handedly reduced the market value of secondhand <laughs> and i'm buying them
1: <laughs> this is, it's this a great is it. tactic like, you
3: know, yeah that's great you know like uh, uh johnny greenwood pushed up the value of uh of those uh those telecaster what were they called Matt? Oh, Telly Plus. Telly Pluses, terrible yeah. guitars, but because he played them, they became more expensive and yeah. uh, he, he complained that he couldn't buy one for cheaper. Yeah, but yeah, in your yeah. case, you, you were. No, it's definitely worked in my favor. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny.
2: Like,. Shira, Nina Nesbitt, all these amazing artists like chimed in on that thread. When I posted about it, they're like, I'm the same, bitch.
3: <laughs> That's so that was
2: really, really funny. But um, I've tried many different pedals since and I just don't get the same usability out of anything else.
0: Yeah, I think the, the It becomes accurate- part of you, doesn't it? I think yeah. that's there's certain it obviously the same with your dove and then the same with yeah. that. It just it becomes an extension of yourself as a player so it becomes very difficult and it's muscle
2: memory as well it's just like you know you know i really wanted to sort of try and see if i could get into the role and what is it the jc300 oh
0: that's the the big one the rc the big one the The rc 300
2: and i really liked it but it was just so difficult to make the switch because it's totally different controls and like different ways of of doing things that just at the end of the day didn't suit my live performance and I think that that's um you know it's a really important part of 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 pedal building particularly with looping which is studio use and live use are completely different
3: of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: And I can, you know some some loop pedals you have to press the button for 3 seconds to delete it. I can't do that when I'm live.
3: No. Yeah, you know. No, you need that. You need that get out of uh, jail free card. You need get out of there.
2: jail immediately
3: because <laughs> the the Headrush has a before feature right that, where that obnoxious guy
2: at the front starts shouting at you that you can't work your stuff.
3: Doesn't the the Headrush has a feature where you can take it back to the very first loop? Yeah, Is it's a genius right? feature. Like, it's been genius, years
2: since have so. so you um, you record and then you press the play button, but if you Um, double tap the record button while you're in flow, it will take it right back to the first thing you did. So if you do something chronically bad, (laughs) it means that you can go back to the start, but you're not stopping the track entirely.
3: Right. Which is really helpful. That's very helpful, especially, I guess, if you lay down like a, you know, whatever, like a kick.
2: Yeah. drums step yeah.
3: sound first that means you you at least you're coming down to a very usable sound yeah
2: and it also means that you can be quite creative with that so if at the end of the song you want it to kind of go back down to just the beat then you can ah, do
3: that very clever and you
2: don't yeah. have to have like loads of different pedals it's, to do it's that. definitely I mean,
3: it's definitely something that's designed to be functional, but you have made it musical for for yourself, for your style. And I think, yeah, the sort of the the options that the headrush offers are obviously things that are very, very have become built in and very applicable to your style.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I have to say I would absolutely love to design a custom pedal. Uh-huh. I'd be extremely excited to do it. Uh, I haven't yeah. found anyone to partner up with to do that. But um there's certain things that I'd love to be able to do. I really love the idea of being able to graduate from like say chorus verse chorus to middle eight section. That's slightly different. Um, And I know the RC 300 does that a bit, but there was things about it that I found it too hard to Uh completely swap over to it. But, um, you know, I think a really important thing to say about looping is it's, fucking really nerdy and and there's a very definite line that is palpable at a gig in a venue with an audience in front of you when what you are doing is becoming really boring
3: well this is the hardest thing how do you use like and this is a a fine line that you have to tread Yeah, um, is that you've got to build up a song that is interesting as in it's interesting in that it has enough parts enough facets yeah. to make it appealing to the listener and yeah. impressive to the listener but yeah. at the same time didn't take you 20 minutes yeah and believe, exactly i've I, been i've been to enough gigs uh, with with looping people who who you know spend 20 minutes getting God, us to so the song tedious. and it's great when the song's there but you're like crikey it did take a I, long time I would, honestly, <laughs> yeah, I
2: would honestly say that you've got about 10 seconds <laughs> to get your or 10 to 20 seconds um i don't know if you then go and like measure how long i spend setting loops up maybe it's more like a minute (laughs) but but you, you know when you watch jules holland for example i like i have turboed putting the loop in for black horse now it's like a third of the time because i'm doing the vocals and the claps at the same time yeah. Um, I'm managing to do the turnaround fat faster so I'm not having to wait for a whole repeat before I put something else in. Um, so I think advice to anybody who's looping is is choreograph how you're getting your loop into the machine and get it down as quick as you can and then get on with singing your song.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, do, do you write the songs with the looper at the same time or do you have the kind of whole song formed and then break it down into parts that you can then for
2: the most part when i'm in the studio the loop pedal doesn't come out the box it's not got a high-end enough audio output to sound that great so if I'm doing looping in the studio, we usually just do it on the computer, which I think is a bit of a shame actually. And now that I'm about to sort of have my own studio up and running in the house, I will have the loop pedal set up all the time because I think there's there's such a level of kind of DIY experiment experimenting that comes from using the pedal that you don't get if you're sitting at a computer and you're not as hands-on with the sounds that you're making. Um, but usually for the vast majority of the time, I'm making a record in the studio and then working out how to do it using a loop pedal on my right.
3: own. Right. Yeah. I guess Which is that's, really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's 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 wonderful to kind of, uh, that's sort of a, you know, a bit of a deconstructed cheesecake way of doing it. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, which must make it really interesting to be able to take apart your tracks and then yeah. put them back together in a kind of usable solo way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the thing I found most exciting, I think, in in terms of because my my setup has has grown has expanded a lot, um, so I'm now using a handsonic a Roland Hansonic, which I can I can so I can now loop electronic beats. Which Wait,
3: what's I, the what's the Roland Hansonic?
2: The Roland Hansonic is um, it's it's uh, it's basically circular with about twelve different touchpads oh i know they're rubber touchpads and
1: it's got life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs learn more at uh1.com So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since two thousand and thirteen, Bombas has donated over one hundred million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness.
2: it was it's really worth it because the sounds are great The the actual inbuilt patches are really interesting um and the the usability on it is incredible you can at the touch of a button you can tune stuff you can pitch stuff you can change the volume and the most beautiful thing about it is you press exit and it saves on its own
1: (laughs) oh it's so great um
2: and it's also got this wicked feature called the D-Beam, which you can play. A sen- I love a the sensor. D-Beam.
1: Oh, the so d beam. everything your hand.
2: you hand. And so, for, and so what I was going to say uh, before, which I didn't quite get to was the reason I still love the Akai Headrush as well is because people look at it and understand what you're doing. And that's, and people who don't play the loop pedal completely understand what you're doing they're going oh she's making that noise and it's recording and then it's playing back there's no hoodwinkery there's no there's right. no magic tricks there's no, there's no there's no processing
3: that's really interesting
2: and i think that that once you start getting too clever with that tech you might as well be pressing play on a cd
3: there is I I completely agree with you. There is a there is a point, isn't there, with all of this stuff where it stops becoming kind of a live achievement.
2: Yeah, so and, I don't uh, really it's the use risk, it. isn't it? It's yeah. the
3: it's the on the edgeness. And of course, you know, and, and that's that's actually something I think that's been said about you before. Uh, you you're a fearless um mm musician in the in the you're putting yourself at, you know as you were at that Jules Holland show where you, mm. you genuinely did a you know come yeah. in late on a section and that's the thing about looping is you can't hide like this is no. just about like this is literally about how good you are as a as a musician without being able to hide behind anything and I think that's that's
2: well you know my background too is I'm a busker so um I feel like this might be a Massive sweeping generalisation, but I think as a busker, I'm just naturally not much of a perfectionist. Right. It's all about vibe, and yeah. and getting getting people excited about what you're doing. It's not yeah. about precision and and kind of mi- minute focus on on playing. Um, it it's about the whip up really, and about yeah. you know the the songs. It's about singing songs yeah, yeah, um, yeah and so I think that that's a good uh, thing to talk about with the pedals is that I don't I don't process anything at all when I'm playing when I make I want you to hear the sound that I make on stage looped mm-hmm. out front. Yeah
3: yeah you so that there's to... no
2: there's no cerebral connection having to be made of oh that crazy you know delayed reverb sound was actually <laughs> what she just sang.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and what you're describing right there is just rock and roll. Like you know, that's yeah. that's the 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 sort of rootsy, yeah, uh, yeah sort of sloppy Im- imperfection perfection of rock and roll, which is yeah. you know.
2: Exactly. I mean, I think it's worth mentioning as well that with the Jules Holland thing, I think it was probably quite unusual for people seeing a girl using tech.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not... I, I imagine. Uh, I, am, I mean, I think loopers, as as a rule, were a relatively new thing, and I guess, I guess that is maybe something that.
2: Um... It's um, <laughs> you know we've got such a kind of, um, rep as, I mean, not so much now. This is we're talking when I started, and it was different, totally different landscape back then. But you know, it was all kind of boy indie bands like Killers and Kings of Leon and, um, Franz Ferdinand and it was so you know girl girl with guitar was or girl on piano was kind of like the the categories that record labels were looking for their signing their one signing, yeah. one one record label. When I was looking for a deal, one record label guy said to me, "Yeah, I think you're really good, but we've already got a girl with a guitar."
1: Oh, that's
3: <laughs> awful! That's awful! And and you know you, you you're absolutely right. Like, tell me about it. That's the uh, you know the 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 terrible thing about uh, about you know it's, it's certainly where we come from in the kind of the the guitar geekery. Um, mm. uh, part of of the industry that is something that we that we bulk against and have done since guitar Nerds has been a been a thing. Is is that yes? It you know certainly it is something that has been uh, horribly. Uh, unbalanced mm. um, towards fellas for a long time and so yes uh, you know I imagine you were absolutely right at the time that you were on Jules Holland it probably was you know <laughs> it probably was very unusual to see sort of a you know yeah. a, a girl with tech as as not, terrible not as now. that is that that that, that was the case is now. you know a, yeah, no no very... of course I think I think the industry is actually and I'm very you know happy that the industry is moving in the way that it that it is. Yeah, as, I as mean, and there's Wulung. just
2: absolute, just total pioneers. Georgia is just doing amazing stuff with her kit and looping and you know, playing to, to tracks, doing a solo performance and triggering. Um Nina's, Nina Nesbitt's brilliant at it as well. But then um Tash Sultana and uh Grace Savage just doing such exciting stuff.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I um I absolutely agree with you. I think the guitar world is moving in a really positive uh positive way and mm. uh, and and you know fantastic that it is doing that. Um I really want to talk to you about your electric guitar stuff. Yeah. But there is kind of like uh, like I've I've heard it before, but I would, I would I I would love to hear you tell the story about before we move on to electric guitars, I'd love to hear you tell the story about how you managed to skewer your entire hand on your acoustic oh guitar. Oh my
2: god. So was it was at the IC is it the ICA in London? Is that the right Yeah, one? yeah, that's Letters? the that's the venue, yeah. Um and it was quite a big show because it was the first like press night. Of, of a band show of I to the Telescope. And so right. it was a, my first sort of big proper headline, you know, g- notable London show, really. Uh-huh. And I was playing Miniature Disasters, I think, h- hilariously enough. And um, <laughs> as I'm strumming, I break a string. And w- when you're playing a steel string, you know, the first four strings are wound. And a trick to get rid of it is that you just pull it away from the guitar and it kind of zips outwards and and it unwinds. So it kind of hangs low while you finish the rest of the song, which is something I've done many, many times. (laughs) Um, But it is still kind of attached and you've got to deal with it at the end. But I did that as usual and then I couldn't play. I was like, my hand is feeling weird. And it also was not like a bit numb. Um, And I looked down and the B string had completely penetrated my pinky and come (sighs) out the other side (sighs) by about half an inch. And I was literally attached to the guitar. (laughs) And I was just, and I just went, oh! (laughs)
3: <laughs> that is an awful injury it was awful Live at and I show. said
2: and I but thankfully it's one of these things that happened so fast it actually wasn't painful really right, right. and also you've got so much adrenaline in your system that you're in front of people and I had to stop I was like guys I need to deal with this and they all went <laughs> and then I pulled it out and it splattered blood all over my guitar which was awesome <laughs> and and um, and then my, and then someone in the crowd handed my bass player a plaster, and we had a big joke about Band Aid.
3: <laughs> your your uh, band coming to you? No, aid. it was
2: it was really cool. I was really annoyed with my <laughs> guitar tech because he wiped the blood off, and I wanted to.
3: Oh do it no! Right. <laughs> you wanted it to look rock and roll? Oh, that's, yeah, it was
2: pretty crazy. I mean, it's definitely. Um, Getting injured on stage in front of an audience is a, is, is proper heebie-jeebies, I have to say. Right. Like my, I remember a, 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 a gig in Liverpool Academy and it was just probably, it was like a hundred degrees. It was just, just unbelievably hot and my keyboard player just ended up completely slumped over her keyboards, passed out and had to be carried off stage and I was like, fuck. I'd hate that so (laughs) much. It'd just be such a like massive loss of control to sort of be be hurt. And and Dave Akimu from, um, uh, what's the band? The, the, uh, I can't remember, but Dave Akimu, he got electrocuted really badly on stage during a show. And yeah, it's just, that's really frightening.
3: Yeah, that's absolutely uh, yeah. That's <laughs> that's the worst the worst thing you can imagine. Also, a rite of passage, you know. <laughs> it is a bit. Yeah,
2: I have to say it is a bit.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet, but um, but yes, we should. Uh, I, uh, you know. I really want to talk about electric guitars as well yeah. because that's a that's a that's kind of a big part of your sound. Certainly, I feel like it's something that's become more a part of you as a as a musician with your with your later albums as, yeah. as well. Yeah. Like, uh, well,
2: what happened actually was in my fourth album, I I, I worked with How Gelb from Giant Sand. He's an amazing guitarist, an amazing right. jazz pianist. Um, but he was, he's the lead singer of Giant Sand, if people are familiar with that band. It's kind of the, the split-off band from Calexico. Um, and I went to Tucson, Arizona, and I'd been on tour with Howe and Robin Hitchcock and Eliza Carthy and Martin Carthy on this great kind of collective tour that we did. And Howe played his acoustic through an amp, and that was like, whoa! that was awesome like just <laughs> hearing I guess the spirit of that old punk stuff that I was talking about Eddie Cochran and Elvis was just like the f- I'm sure they did plug their acoustic did they plug their acoustics into amps I'm sure they did
3: because uh, yeah, they would
2: they might not have had PA systems in the same way so maybe they were getting, I don't know I just feel like there's some connection of that sound to older stuff and I'm a big fan of of a lot of West African stuff as well. I love Ali Farkatura and Tanarowin and... um,
3: Bloody love Tanarowin.
2: Yeah, a lot of that stuff, you know, it's homemade guitars and amps and it just sounds incredible. And so I think that kind of mashup of acoustic and electric. So I now, my acoustic is constantly running through my amp. So I can use my entire electric pedal board on my acoustic as well as my electric. That's cool. It's really cool. And it sounds amazing. And I have to say, though, it takes a lot of searching to find the right amp that can handle the acoustic and the electric really well. And I was on a Fender twin for a long time and it's like carrying a bloody car around. (laughs) And I finally found I hooked up recently with Supro. You're
3: using Statesman, right? Supro Statesman? Uh,
2: Supro Statesman, I love that amp. Oh, they're so good. It's Quite dinky. You can turn. The problem is with an acoustic; it's it's hard to turn it up. But with that amp, you can really turn it up.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's a a fantastic Fender alternative, uh, just for like those sparkly, jangly cleans. But also that kind of full range, headroom, heavy response that you get from a lot of Fender amps. I I really like little amp, and I uh,
2: and it really serves the needs I have for my electric stuff as well. So. Um, but you know, I was very—I've always been a huge Jack White fan. I think that he's just a complete iconoclast, and his ability to kind of record what he does is so impressive it's really hard to record and make it sound live yeah you know um but he's always been able to do it and yeah um, and so I th- with my latest album wax I re- it was about all about electric guitar and I really wanted to I kind of wanted to use the album as an excuse to improve my electric playing and so I I decided to work with Nick McCarthy formerly a Franz Ferdinand guitarist and he he produced the record. And uh
3: fantastic tasting guitarist, yeah. that man. Uh, I oh, mean that he's a- just absolutely such wonderful a wicked rain.
2: player. Yeah. And just an amazing writer as well. And um but just you learn so much when you spend a bit of concentrated time with players like that, you know?
0: Uh-huh. I think um that really came across when you I saw you play at it was like a friends and family gig in Kingston. And Oh yeah, bat- was that
2: the was that the um pr- what was called prism or something prism yeah 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 and,
0: yeah and um you know obviously seeing you on tv in 2004 yeah. and then and and not having a chance to see you live until that point it was just yeah. it was such a rocky <laughs> performance yeah you know yeah. and it was just and and i could tell that that had really come across from from the record and obviously like a big mind shift that you know that whole performance was it was almost like a rock gig yeah in in, in some ways you know well and it's a
2: rock album so that yeah that was definitely the idea
0: and um I just thought you know all the sounds live sounds it was amazing and obviously you had um Charlotte Hathaway was playing um yeah guitar for you at that point as yes, well yes he's an amazing um,
2: amazing yeah. I mean she's probably my favorite lead guitarist
0: yeah to work so with I um no, I mean obviously
2: on. I have I have Hattie now who's absolutely brilliant. Charlotte as an artist is just she's um she's got such an amazing kind of archivist sensibility where she's really got a very kind of she's niche and broad at the same time. Like she really knows she really knows her references, but she's she's extremely nerdy and that she'll go deep into how to recreate sounds and um, it's kind of all amalgamated in this really amazing kind of angular style that's hers.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I, you know, that that performance I thought was, you know, fantastic. And yeah, um, one guitar that I really want to ask about, which I was, I was talking to Joe just before you you joined on your the front cover of your second album. Yeah. Um, <laughs> drastic, fantastic. You played a mirable finish gibson firebird yes so do you still have that guitar was that custom made f- okay f- for you or what's funny. the story there this
2: is a funny story so it was kind this, of this would
3: be good because i couldn't find out much about this no, it's like there's plenty a- about white falcons and plenty about yeah. supros but
2: i was i was was um, a reason for that by the way joe um <laughs> so i was quite kind of taken by kind of following the Susie Quatro, uh, you know quintessential rock chick vibe which she was definitely a an inspiration for that album cover. By the way, I wasn't going to go with a photo for that album cover. Uh it was the label as usual at the last minute going we need a photo <laughs> of you on the album cover. I had all this amazing comic book art that was going right. on the front cover but we had to pick a photo in the end. Um and or I should say I capitulated to picking a photo in the end. <laughs> um, <laughs> because uh, they, they basically say to you, well, if it doesn't sell, it's your fault. And you're like, oh God. <laughs> um, so I wanted this amazing guitar for the front and I loved the idea of the a mirror ball guitar. Um, so that guitar was a set designer, literally like you would go around your hand with a pen Drew the outline of my guitarist at the time, Sam Lewis's Firebird, cut it out of MDF and covered it in Mirror Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a guitar at all.
0: <laughs> oh, that's amazing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's in I think it's in the hard rock in Glasgow. Actually.
0: Really? Oh, yeah. that's awesome.
2: Yeah, it was falling apart. I mean, it was It was an amazing piece of art, but it would, but because, you know, when you do that outline on your hand, you end up with a really massive picture of your hand. Same thing, this was huge.
1: (laughs) It was way
2: bigger than a Firebird guitar. Um, But it was fantastic for the shoot.
3: That is, <laughs> that is incredible.
0: Yeah, a but, a, a um, little bit of a shame that it's not a real guitar. I, I, would, I definitely think that would be one to hang on the wall.
2: It would be for sure. Well, here's
0: the
3: thing, Matt. There are plenty of incredible guitars to talk about in Katie's range because, of course, you know I'd, I'd love to talk about the 1975 White Falcon, which oh, I think please. is pr- pr- you know, w- one of the guitars that is very, again, that's the electric guitar that when I think yeah. about you as a musician, I think about that White Falcon.
2: Yeah. So that, that was a great story. I, um, I, I was playing the Brit. It was the year I won the Brit award and for best female. And, and, and what happens is the Brit, the Brit awards production team go out to the record labels and ask for, um, basically a production idea. And then they decide whether they want you to play based on what you submit. And I had this history with my record label of them asking me what I wanted to do for videos. And I'd come up with these amazing ideas. And then two days before they'd pat me on the head and go, yeah, nice one. We're not going to do that. We're going to use these people who just did 07. And I'd go, oh God. And I never, they never kind of listened to my, it was very difficult to feel like I was being listened to from a creative point of view, you know, in that way. And so I was really kind of a bit hacked off with them asking me, what I wanted when it felt like it was total just lip service, you know? Yeah. So they asked me, "What the Brits want to know what you want to do on stage. And I was like, all right, fuck you guys. I'm going to come up with the most ridiculous idea and then you're going to have to tell them. And I said, right, I want it to look like you're watching black and white television. I want black and white everything. I want custom-made black and white leather trousers. I want massive stairways. I want... 20 tap dancers on each side with one black leg and one white leg and bowler hats and visuals and I took up they went to town and they and they had a read and then they were like yeah okay sounds good <laughs> 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 and that's what happened and we did it and um but I said to my guitar tech at the time you know I need a really really the coolest white guitar you can think of and he straight away he was just like Neil Young white falcon Here's the and thing, so, I
3: can't believe that it was a vintage White Falcon. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is it.
2: I didn't know either, really, because the label rented it, that, right. guita- that guitar. They rented that guitar for the performance, me thinking it's going back to the shop after the, and I fell in love with it, obviously. And I got my Brit, did my speech, all good. And then EMI threw a party afterwards for me to say, well done. And at that party, they made me stand up on a table and they said, we've got another presentation for you. And they gave me the guitar. Wow. And it was like, I was totally speechless
3: that's that's incredible a 1975 so, yeah. gretsch white falcon and it's, you toured that afterwards as well yeah right? i you, did you i mean a lot of a that. lot
2: of people kind of questioned whether that was wise <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> and i
2: cuz i was also touring with a 1964 uh silver gretsch jet this um, is so
3: cool this is cool like being being a big artist as you are yeah, and actually and, using vintage gear and not sort of just using well, you know, and stuff, th- this is cool.
2: It was really cool. And, you know, it was funny because it didn't even occur to me not to use them. I was just right. like, oh, they're great guitars, you know. I'll I'll use them. And then it, I, one night um, on tour, I was using the the, the Silver Sparkle Jet. Um, and the, all the kind of piping was coming off around the edge of the guitar. Right. So we were somewhere for three days. We had a day off. So we sent it to a shop, local shop to get it glued up and we had a spare brand new jet and at the end of suddenly i see i was playing a second drum kit i ran towards the drum kit the guitar lead got wrapped around my ankle i pulled the thing off the stand and the headstock oh, no. snapped off oh. and it was the one night i was using the spare and <laughs> that kind of i went oh man that's hard like <laughs> you know and and that Gretsch, that 97 folk 1975 falcon that that's what I grab in a fire,
3: right? Yeah, for sh-
2: yeah. above above any any other possession, it's I'm, it's a it's a really special instrument to me.
3: You're playing more or less the largest uh, electric guitar. <laughs> I
1: know.
2: When I got it, I said yeah. to the band guys, I was like, guys, does this look big on me? And they were like, yeah, it looks oh, fucking God. huge, and it's really cool. I
1: was it like, is- okay, fair enough. And in, an incredibly but the, cool guitar. Yeah,
2: the other thing about both of those guitars was um, you know, tearing is extremely physically taxing. Of course. And I was starting to find that I was having shoulder problems. I was oh, really, get, what? Because of the weight yeah, of it? Yeah, I got a frozen shoulder for like seven months. I got heavy rota- center
3: block on those uh, Yeah, I got
2: rotator cuff injury. Ooh, yeah. Um and I just, you know, it's fifteen years down the line. I was like, I'm. It's not easy on your body to be touring all the time, anyway. But you have to think about as you as you're aging, like looking after yourself. And um, the move to Supro was so cool because was that
3: was that was that the reason behind the move to Supro then? Uh, was, was partly kind of in a... the
2: end, it wasn't premeditated. Right. But um, I was doing the album cover shoot for Wax and- Which of course uh, has
3: a super guitar on it. Yeah,
2: so I went to see, I was in LA, I hadn't, had I moved to LA? Yeah, I was living in LA, but all my guitars were in London because I'd been touring in the UK. And I was in LA and I knew that the shoot was coming up. And on the Thursday before the shoot, I went to see Jack White at the Egyptian.
1: And he was doing of course.
2: this of course was seeing Jack this, White has something yeah. to do with the super. Of course. It? it was like my pre-album shoot inspiration and it was an amazing show. And um I'm watching the gig and I suddenly go, Oh shit, all my guitars are in London. And I need a guitar for the shoot this weekend. It's an electric guitar record. Like I can't not have i think i had my acoustic with me but it's like i need an electric so my good friend paul breccik who, who, who he's head of music at warner and he just his guitar nut and has a load of guitars himself and i called paul and i was like paul can i borrow some guitars for the shoot this weekend he was like i'm you know miles away in new york or whatever but go and see the guy go and see dave at True Tone music um in Santa Monica. Santa I'm Monica, just, yeah. Great shop. I'm just shop. checking. Wonderful that, shop. Yeah, I'm checking that it is Dave and I've not got this wrong. Let me just double check because I'd feel very sorry to get to get Dave's well, name.
3: True Tone <laughs> in, in Santa Monica is a fantastic shop. Yeah, Dave a, Dave
2: Jenkins at True Tone. And uh, so he said call Dave, tell him I told you to call. And so I phoned him up, I said, Dave, this is the situation. Can I just borrow some guitars? I'm not playing them. I just need them for a photo shoot. He was like, come on down. It'll be great fun. Come and see what we've got. And I walk in and the first thing I see is this dual tone, white Supro guitar on the wall. It's made of plastic. And I'm just like, I don't care. That's so cool. I'd never heard of Supro. I didn't know who they were. It could have been total cheap Chinese shit for all I knew. I just thought it looked amazing. I'm shopping for a holiday. This is the first holiday I've seen and I'm booking (laughs) it, right? (laughs) I'm like, that's the one. So I take a few guitars, but that's the one I'm excited about. I go and do the shoot. Literally the first guitar shot we do in the shoot with a great photographer called Piper Ferguson. I I kneel down, hold the guitar, bang, first shot, album cover. Literally.
0: We tried to do a few more. It was just
2: like, that's it. First shot we did. That's the album cover. And then I go back to see Dave. I'm like, Dave, it's on the cover of the album, man. We got it. And I was like, but I have no idea what this guitar is, but I'm going to need to buy it because it's on the cover of the record. Can, can I at least, like, hear it before I buy it? So we plug it in. Because <laughs> that was the funny thing, right? It didn't matter what any of these guitars sounded like. It was just oh, how cool. they looked for the album cover. Plug in to a Supro amp, and I'm like, bang, this is amazing. It sounds they're, so good. They're
3: wonderful. Like, uh, you know, considering, I guess, that you um, that your electric choice until then was kind of, you know, Gretsch-focused, then a, yeah. a Supro really isn't a far cry. Even when the, no. you're talking about the Resiglass um you know the the fiberglass version of those they they certainly have that uh that kind of mid-presence i guess and yeah still and it's very, definitely very
2: choppier definitely you know kind of slappier uh-huh.
3: uh yeah, in, yeah. <laughs> in,
2: in in tone but but that's what i was looking for for the new record anyway you know was more more attitude in the electrics and right. more kind of you know more more punch really than i'd previously been using and um And then, so I get my credit card out thinking, oh, you know, what's this going to be? And he's like, (laughs) it's like a few hundred bucks. I was like, are you serious? (laughs) And I don't know, it was like 700 bucks or something, 600 bucks. And it was just like, I was like, Dave, what, what, how? Like... It's mean,
3: so cheap. Yeah, that's so what I'm into. Like, uh, if you if you if you can shop outside of Fender, Gibson, and Gretsch uh, for vintage guitars, then there are just yeah. such bargains out well, this there.
2: This is this is me expecting to pay two grand. Yeah, and it's a wow. quarter of that, you know. <laughs> and and I was so happy with it. And then I posted a picture on Instagram of my new guitar, saying, "This is on the." This is on the uh, album cover. Within like fifteen minutes, I get a message from Supro going, "Call us immediately, please." <laughs> I
3: actually,
2: I remember that
3: picture. That's yeah. incredible. That and Supro they were just like, got- "What?
2: Like what? You've just bought." We're so thrilled, and they've been amazing. They've been such a pleasure to work with. And 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 then, as going back to what we were saying, the major upside is they are light as a feather.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And they're, they're cheap. So are. if
2: anything happens, you the, know, oh. I'm not I'm not worried about kind of going rally car driving with these guitars <laughs> because I can get another one. It's not the, it's
3: the okay. reinvention of Supro has been incredible. We're yeah. so happy to have no them back on the And I had no idea that
2: Bowie played one.
3: Yeah! Oh, yeah! And the, <laughs> well, actually, Supra, one of the first reason did... I
2: knew—the reason I knew that was because I posted that picture, and James Bay posted, "Oh my God, you got the Bowie guitar!" I was like, <laughs> "What? What are
3: you talking about?" Yeah, the, one of the first things Supro did when they came back was introduce the yeah. uh, a Bowie signature model. I know, um, I still haven't and, managed to
2: get hold of one of those. No, oh, yes,
3: they were they were absolutely fantastic. I had a brief spell with one, and it was it yeah. was wonderful. But yeah, I mean, uh, so so the you know the the Supros that I guess I've seen you use then you you so you've still got that. Which are, do you know what year that is? The it's the, brand new, so it was oh,
2: two thousand and eighteen.
3: Oh really? Oh yeah. I thought it was oh I assumed it was a, no, it's a, a, a vintage one. Right. So no, that was a brand that, new I mean, guitar.
2: Oh right. Same sweet. with the it's the red poppy Belmont vibrato that right. I use, just brand new.
3: Ah, that is that is awesome. Yeah. And, and and those are the two so you've got the uh so the it's the duo and the dual and the tone, Belmont.
2: Dual tone and the and the Belmont vibrato. Oh. And actually with the Belmont vibrato I took the I took the whammy bar off. Because yeah. I was having tuning issues with it, and I don't need it, so I just took you, it off and fixed you're the bridge. Quite
3: so. an aggressive player to play anything yeah. with a trem system, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, the, another, the, there's another impalement. Yeah, the, the
2: Falcon, the Falcon handled it really well. Actually, right. it was probably just because it, there was a load of gunk in there, <laughs> so it wasn't like <laughs> yeah. it wasn't moving as much as it should have done. But um, yeah. you know, they're all they're all extremely different guitars to play. Um, and, but I would say that I would play, I would play a ten dollar guitar from a charity shop if it sounded good. I do not care where it's from or who it's, you know, or w- how much it is or anything like that. But I will say, and just to explain before we finish, like about my my move to to Taylor.
3: Yes, this is where I was going to go so next. So
2: <laughs> I went on a uh, really very affecting trip to the amazon peruvian jungle uh-huh. with reverb which is an american organization which helps musicians kind of green their their touring and their and their work life that's um, fantastic
3: wow what a fantastic! it was
2: amazing it was christmas 2018 i think that i went and um
3: what's the wait was, what's the organization called,
2: it's called the it's called reverb.org
3: right. Right.
1: And they, oh, okay. So
2: they work with Pearl Jam, they work with Bare Naked Ladies, they work with uh, uh, Billie Eilish and they basically help try and do as much as possible to make the tours environmentally friendly.
3: Right, I see. So
2: they're kind of doing, you know, reusable cups and looking into travel and it's really a great, or- they're an amazing organisation. W- wonderful. But they took me and James Valentine from Marine 5 and Stéphane Lessard from Dave Matthews Band Um, down to peru yeah to go and basically look into the illegal logging trade because they'd found out that a lot of illegal wood was being used in guitars right and there there wasn't tracking on where this wood was coming from i see and unfortunately gibson did not fare well when it came to their ethical standards of where they were getting their wood from
3: yeah I'm, Um, i'm quite aware of this and and of course the uh um, what Gibson ended up
0: calling the, uh, what do they call the series? Oh, it was, oh, it was certainly... quite a while ago. They had a lawsuit series in they? because they, they lost. The government lawsuit, series. Government they series. Exactly. Yeah, so they is, got, uh,
2: I mean the, the wood was proven to be illegally logged from the Amazon. It right. was, they were fined like 600 grand and then they went ahead and made guitars out of that wood anyway. And why why anybody would want to play that. It's like the worst karma you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um but um you know there's no there's it's no comment on Gibson's guitars. They're amazing well, of course, and, yeah, they make and fantastic I'll continue, instruments. I'll is. continue to play mine, but I needed to move forward. You know, our our wallets are are extremely important uh choices you know they're 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 a vote these days of who we want Mm. to work with and who we want to support and taylor have just got an unbelievable ethical practice i mean bob taylor's growing wood in cameroon himself
0: yeah yeah that they Um, they are are really leading the way in terms of they're um, using
2: like they're using reaped city wood from city parks in america to build instruments it's just it's beautiful what they're doing and and it's really important to me, especially as I get older, to make sure that I'm, I'm supporting companies that have that attu- attitude towards the world. So they custom made me um, a couple of. I always remember the, can't remember the bloody. Um, What's it called? Model num model name. Oh, it's I mean,
0: dreadful. I mean, we uh, <laughs> we worked in guitar shops for uh, ten years, and I still can't remember my. Uh, when it comes to grand
3: acoustic model. models, I can't remember no, uh, numbers not, yeah. either. So. <laughs> it's like it's not
2: the grand symphony, but I can't. I'm so sorry, Taylor. That I can't, whatever they are, they're awesome, but they made me grand these concert. I can't remember. No, they're no, they're no absolutely can. gorgeous, and. Really, kind of match up to that standard in term. and they were able to sort of do some proper kind of custom reinforcing around the braces. T- bracing oh, really? To, they made yeah. it extra
3: enforced because of the yeah, fact I've still,
2: that, I've still cracked it. It's still not cracking it. Um,
3: trying to make an acoustic guitar there, for Katie is, Tunstall, yeah. who uses her guitar as a drum kit, must be a difficult job for anyone. Seriously,
2: <laughs> and it is a dreadnought guitar, but it's got a very, a much more feminine body. Right. And it's a bit smaller which okay. suits me great and I am um, I'm absolutely loving playing their guitars. Wow,
3: well, that's uh, that's fantastic. What, a, you know. And what a wonderful testament to to Taylor. I'm so Yeah. Uh, I'm, so, I'm 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 I know Matt obviously you you're better than I am, but I'm I'm so old school that I tend to uh, when it comes to acoustics I tend to sit myself firmly in that Gibson Martin um sort of uh area but um but I, I do i do appreciate and i should appreciate more i guess i didn't know uh that taylor were doing so much uh environmentally and that's something that's very important to me that i should take yeah. a bit more seriously as well yeah.
0: taylor um, did um they did the palette guitar
3: we did i do remember mm. the
0: palette guitar Which because Geo ca- palette, yeah
3: gack in brighton had had one of those uh yeah someone someone told Uh, Well, no, I think Bob Taylor said he could make a guitar out of anything. And so so he uh, he built a guitar out of the leftover pallets in the Taylor warehouse. That is so
2: cool. What a dude.
3: Yeah, even the inlay on the 12th fret is a it was a pearl inlay of a pallet truck. (laughs)
2: That is so cool.
1: That's so, so cool. And then the other
2: yeah. thing I th- that, that's really worth mentioning is I went on tour uh, around Scotland with my amazing all-female band, including Hattie, who's a lefty, of course. So she had to right. have her lefty version. Um, oh, really? Right. But we we did a lot of in. We, it was it was a charity week with little supermarkets because they use a lot of local produce and people don't really know about it and it was a kind of anniversary for them and so we did this really lovely kind of very localized charity tour uh, with little which meant that we were playing in supermarkets and we were also (laughs) playing in schools we went and played in in primary schools and we all took the minis really and they're brilliant. The 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 Taylor Minis yeah, sound so mini. good.
3: GS Minis, yeah.
2: Yeah, I the see. bass as well. The bass and the guitar. Oh, heard.
1: you would t- the the GS yeah, mini so, bass as well. So oh, Mandy wow. was
2: playing the bass through this like little bell amp with batteries oh, in it. Oh, that's so. It cool. It was awesome.
3: Oh man, that that's so cool. I can't believe that that bass worked because that's something like a. Uh, I can't remember what it is. But oh, it's, it's great. Like tw- it's, but it's like a 24-inch scale or something tiny, like that. But we would literally,
2: like, <laughs> jump out of the splitter holding our little tiny guitars <laughs> and do a gig. It was That's, wicked.
3: That is wonderful. Well, I did. Well,
2: I, I have to say, when you were say, talking about Bob Taylor and the palette guitar, I did... I, one of the most amazing kind of surprise gifts I ever received was um, from Talisker Whiskey. And uh, I'd I'd sort of been vocal about it being my favourite whiskey. Um, And to surprise me, they had filed guitars make me a talisker barrel guitar.
1: Wow. And uh, it just
2: turned up at the door, oh and it's absolutely amazing,
3: Katie. That is incredible. Yeah,
2: one-off Talisker whiskey barrel vial oh, guitar. I did it's not beautiful. know that.
3: I did not. Know, yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that you were a big whiskey. I'm a. I'm a, a big whiskey fan uh, oh. myself. Yeah. There's. There's been some talk of me starting a, a whiskey podcast. Actually, in addition, to well, so I, I did not on. know that. So, so well done for having your own. Uh, that is. That is incredible. What an amazing thing to have.
2: My whiskey-soaked guitar. It's oh. great
3: that is uh, that is incredibly cool yeah um very cool indeed um with well that that we are we actually we, we're pretty much up at time at yeah. this week's episode of uh, of the friday special um it's been absolutely incredible having you on an episode katie thank you for taking i've the time really to come loved it us. i don't
2: get a chance as i said to talk this in depth about guitars very often and it's really it's such a pleasure
0: We'll, oh, well. Um, we'll have to talk to you again once your studio is up and running. Yeah, and, I'd love uh, that. dive into the studio side of, uh, yeah, of things. Yeah, for
2: sure.
3: Well, we, we haven't even gone into that. So, yes, I'm very excited about your new studio being on the me way. and too. yeah, And it'd be great to talk to you down the line about that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so you can, of course, uh, check out more Guitar notes over on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash guitar You can
2: check me out at Patreon as well. You can I just also launched. check out just launched you've just launched Patreon yes this month
3: Patreon's the best Katie oh it's the future
2: uh, it's the future for all of us like everyone check it out it is just it's so amazing to have that direct contact with fans and and uh, i am I'm, I'm so in i'm so in
3: oh yeah absolutely you know you, uh, for, for us people pay 10 dollars a month for me to write a song singing their name each month so, uh, <laughs> so cool. yeah, that's what you need to that's what you need to get on well uh, one yeah. of the
2: things that i do as well is i go i get, i i live stream with with patrons if i'm recording anywhere so we just had we had a 5 hour session in sunset sound in la the other day uh-huh. That's and incredible. they're seeing things being recorded from scratch and so once I get my studio that'll include the actual inception of, of albums and music from the that beginning that is well, yeah.
3: amazing for someone yeah. like you to offer a Patreon yeah. service that, that, that is, is giving you that sort of much of an insight what an incredible thing, I mean listeners absolutely uh, check that check yes, that out please. Um, and of course you can join us on any of the major social platforms with at Guitar And we'll be back next week with our regular episode on Wednesday and another Friday special on Friday. We'll catch you then for more of this guitar nerdery. Farewell.
1: Hi. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors Inc. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.